Hello and welcome to the Vicar's Watch Dibley. The podcast where three priests link our stories to those of a Reverend Geraldine Granger and other TV vicars. I'm Kate. I'm Jenny. And I'm Ruthie. This episode we'll be looking at Happy New Year. Get off our back. It works for this episode, we promise. It's an episode which involves speed dating, but there's a a really big part about Make Poverty History. And so we talk about that charity and that movement. Uh, So it's an episode of Ups and Downs. Day to you, lovely ladies. Hello. Hello. That was quite a regency of me. What fine weather we've been having, actually. No, it's been blooming cold. Yeah, I was going to say, Frosty McFrosterson's out there. (laughs) And our boiler broke, so we've had no heating. Uh, But the lovely people at the diocese have lent us heaters. So there is one underneath my desk right now. And I am straddling it, and it is glorious. Oh, my gosh. I've been doing that with about a million hot water bottles today. Chilly, yeah. chilly times. Um, oh, well, that's one of the things that I've loved this week, has been the uh, glorious heating. What about you, Jenny? Something wonderful from you this week? Oh, it's a good question. Yes, I do. I have a really good one, which I feel really passionate about, but it is new for me. Um, I went, so I, my, there's a, a library in my village, which I'm a member of and try and frequent often. Well, as much as I can, which sadly isn't very often. Anyway, it's another story. I went to my local town library and I was so impressed. It's warm. Everyone was friendly. Mm. There was tea and coffee on offer. And every Saturday you can go and play board games for a pound. I met um, a lovely family there to do some baptism prep with them earlier this week. And I was like, I can't believe I haven't been here before. So what have I been loving this week? My local libraries. And I am for sure going to be back there so often. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. How about you then, Kate? What's something you've loved this week? Um, I I was just thinking about this. What I've loved this week is I've just been reminded how lucky I am to be where I am. Um, you know, walking my dog and t- stopping to talk to people. Today I popped into our church cafe and just how lovely people are and how much they apparently like me and someone said oh I've been talking to the Archdeacon and he's been saying how everyone tells him how great you are and it's just you know people like me you know I'm I'm feeling loved I'm feeling loved for them it's it's nice yeah that's lovely oh that's a really nice thing Mm. much better than I've had many complaints about you (laughs) yeah the the way my brain works it's like they're saying that now just, just give them a few more years. <laughs> just give them a few more years, and they'll hate you. <laughs> oh. Yay, mental oh. health. <laughs> Another thing that we've uh, all enjoyed today, although we recognise that this will be difficult for some people as well. Uh, today's the day that General Synod, which is the kind of governing body for the Church of England, has uh, voted to uh, use prayers uh, to bless same-sex couples <laughs> in church. And that's news that all of us are really pleased mm. about. And we know others will, will feel differently about it. Um, but I, I'm riding on the high of, of that today for me. Mm, yeah, it's yeah, such so a pleased. positive step forward. It's it's not the end goal. Um, but, you know, we can only move forwards from here. 
So, yeah, I think by the time our um, by the time you guys listen to this, it will be news that's been out for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Um, but just a reminder, you can always dialogue with us about this. We're interested in what you think, yeah. what you feel, mm-hmm. and if you want us to do, um, yeah, to talk more about it or to unpack things, then that's what we're here for, and that's what we'd love mm-hmm. to do. Exactly. Go find us on our various socials. Yeah, Kate. Kate. Yes. What are we doing today? Right. So. What we're doing today is we are reviewing an episode. We haven't done that for a while. Um, We actually planned to do this one for our New Year's episode, um, but we got a bit distracted by other things. Um, So we are reviewing the second part of the very Dibley Christmas set of specials, um, and it's called Happy New Year. So these specials were in 2000... Well, straddling 2004 and 2005... Um, the Merry Christmas episode, which or was it a very Dibley Christmas? I think it was Merry, it was Merry Christmas. Christmas. Um, the pair are called a very Dibley Christmas. Sorry, um, Merry Christmas, which was about Geraldine's ten year anniversary in Dibley. Oh yes, yeah. Um, I can't remember anymore. Can't remember any of it. Um, <laughs> so go, long. Go back and listen if you want kind of a bit more of a sequential understanding of what's just happened. Um, this was the New Year's special. It's called Happy New Year and um, it's Geraldine's 40th birthday, among other things. Yeah, but it's not that New Year-y, is it? it, it like, that's not particularly no. talked about. It's just a way to set up this episode. So we don't care. We'll do the Happy New Year yeah. one in February. Well, it's, Woo! Deal with it's, it. It's our new year. It's a new year of a podcast. And yeah. also, I would say this episode is a bit more Valentine's themed. Maybe. Ah, you could, appropriate. Because there's we no, did it deliberately. We did it deliberately. <laughs> we, we, there is no actual New Year's content in this episode. So you could make an argument. Maybe. Yeah. If we told you it was a Valentine's episode, you would have never known. Um, yeah, exactly. On so, that tough. note, on that note, we're going to do something a bit different here because this episode does something a bit different. We're going to start with a joke, which we usually have right at the end. So here's yes. a joke. It's a Valentine's joke. <clears throat> Not to brag, but I already have a date for Valentine's Day. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, it's the 14th of February. Oh, <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. Oh. Whereas, the, that, that was terrible, but also clever. Um, whereas the joke that is done in this episode is my favourite joke of the series. Yeah. Jenny accidentally saw a different version that had a different joke. Uh, But there we go. Never mind, Jenny. Which meant that when we were planning this episode, she had a complete panic that she had watched the wrong episode. So we don't know what happened there, but never mind. Um, So where are we? Of course, we're in the parish council. Mm. That's how these episodes always start. Well, no. This one started with a joke. It's but but it's, they start after the intro song with a parish yeah. council. Parish council. That's where we're at. And we yeah. have discovered that parish council happens every Wednesday. That's a you see, I, that's the regular. I didn't think this was news. I, I felt I thought we knew it was every week. Uh, we didn't know the day. We didn't, maybe we didn't know the day of the week. Now well, we I don't know think I processed that it would have been every week. You know, that does Wednesday sound like a lot. Feels sensible. Like, it yeah. feels like a Wednesday meeting. Yeah, I previously, in my last church, our staff meeting was on a Wednesday. Mm. 
because you're past Sunday and the busyness of that and looking mm. forward to the next Sunday. So mm. good job Wednesdays. Yeah. No hump days here. No. So they're meeting and one of the things mm. that they're talking about is the fact that it's coming up to the 20-year anniversary of Live Aid. Mm. So for people who've never heard of Live Aid before, um, it was uh, something kicked off by a guy called Midgeor and Bob Geldof, but you probably remember Bob Geldof more than Midgeor. Mm. <laughs> uh, and um, was... Uh, in 1985 uh, was a kind of movement uh, where there was a massive famine in different parts of Africa and there was a massive movement to raise money and awareness of what was going on and uh, Live Aid, which was a concert which lots of bands uh, performed at, um, was uh, a big part of that and also the Christmas song Do They Know It's Christmas, which you might recognise. That was all a massive part of it. And it's a significant date for me because uh, Live Aid, the 13th of July, 1985, was when my parents were married. So whenever it comes up with the anniversary of Live Aid, I'm like, oh, yeah, mum and dad. So they they got married, went back to the hotel room, and my dad watched The Who. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah, so Geraldine wants to do something significant Mm. for Live Aid. And we're going to skip over kind of quite a lot of the talking about Live Aid and Make Poverty Mm. History, which is a a big part of this episode because we want to talk about it more at the end as a whole set. Mm. So we're not going to interrupt coming in and out with Mm. different things. So what also happens in this parish council, uh, a couple of highlights we have Geraldine mentioning her life-size vibrating model of Justin Timberlake yeah, which was a de- deeply deeply one. inappropriate Geraldine um, I mean that's just, a special shop you get that from isn't you, it like if you're doing that on your own all all good strength to you but maybe not mention it at a parish council um is she just doing it to rile David up I wonder um David is does she actually have it well, we never or is she it. just messing with them? Mm. I think she does. I think this is setting the scene <laughs> for her. I think she absolutely does. And I think it's setting the scene to talk about relationships, singleness, mm-hmm. sex, sexual intimacy, In but most of things. all relationships. Well, yes. It, yes. As, Potentially. As, as a kind of functional part of a storytelling, it's trying to set up Geraldine's desperation here. We're being told Geraldine is so desperate for intimacy that she's building a sex doll. No, let's call it what it it is. It might be a sex doll. It's oh gosh, (laughs) it's all got very vibrating very quickly. Crotch. (laughs) To be fair, what what does vibe? Is it the whole thing that vibrates? I don't know. I don't know. I, anyway, this is Geraldine. Okay. Um, <laughs> it alludes. It alludes to s- strange things, doesn't it? But um, I, I don't know. You might change my mind, but I'm not sure about the desperate terminology used there. I think that's what we're trying to be. That's what they're trying to tell us because we come across mm. this a little bit later in the episode um, with what the parishioners decide the big problem in her life is. Um, Because the framing of this episode is that Geraldine is turning 40 and she doesn't want people to know this. Um, Hugo's the one who brings it up. He says there's a big birthday coming up. Um, And then Geraldine punches Owen when he keeps talking about her birthday. Um, She punches (laughs) him quite a lot in this episode. There's a lot of violence Mm. towards Owen. (laughs) Um, Somewhat justifiable. Somewhat justifiable, but... (laughs) 
Geraldine maybe needs to have some man- anger management classes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the big thing is that Geraldine's turning 40 and she's not happy about this. She, she doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. So the whole episode, there's this whole, there's two different plots running, which mm. is about make poverty history, um, and Geraldine wanting to push the the parish council and the village mm-hmm. to get involved with it and create a committee mm-hmm. in which people can do it. And so she's asking them to write letters to the yeah. PM, and people forget who the PM is. And there's also this whole line about Geraldine turning forty and uh, what they're going to get her and what she needs in her life. And we all have talked about how it's a weird mesh mm. of these two things. It feels a bit like they had this plot of wanting to, Geraldine to do a thing that she does later on. Mm. Um, and they've just tied it with Make Poverty History. And it feels a bit weird. Yeah, or they had this idea for Geraldine's 40th birthday. And then we'll talk about Make Poverty History later. But this episode was the launch of the campaign in the UK. So... Mm. Um, whether they already sort of had this plot of the romantic plot started um, and then realised that they wanted to bring in Make Poverty History. Anyway, it's a really weird pairing. It is. I do agree. It is a a weird pairing. It is a unusual pairing. But in a way, I feel like that kind of makes it a really diverse episode, which made it, Mm. I don't know, like kind of more varied in in a way that I actually really remember this episode. Like I know we all have our favourite moments and stuff, but this is an episode where I'm like, oh yeah, it's this one. And it, you know, it brings back a lot of different feelings for different reasons. Um, mm. But it does always feel like every time I watch it, see something or hear something new about it. Um, That's interesting, because I remember the end bit really clearly mm. of this episode and had completely forgotten about the other yeah. bits of the mm. of the episode. Yeah. Six, six, anyway, yeah. we keep teasing this, don't we? So let's actually we'll, we'll get, get on with it. it. We'll get back to a de- a, another reflection with later. Yeah. But, um, We're back in the vicarage. D- David Horton is giving off season one villain energy in this Ugh. meeting because he he <laughs> does not think that they should be writing letters to the Prime Minister he thinks it's a waste mm. of time and he doesn't think anyone's going to join Geraldine's subcommittee does he? Yeah I hate the way he says oh it's a you know your goody goody meeting for I'm like oh that's so gross when actually ending mm. poverty is probably one of the most important things we can dedicate our lives to yeah. gosh that makes me angry yeah. so what does Geraldine but do? Geraldine she knows her patch she and does. she bribes them with Jaffa cakes and <laughs> yeah. to be honest that would work for me would too for me. I would join the sub meeting <laughs> if I was promised Jaffa cakes as part of it noted <laughs> note yes note for ministry yeah. always promise Jaffa cakes mm. yeah especially to Ruthie she'll do mm. things for Jaffa cakes <laughs> That sounded weird. Let's <laughs> yeah, move on to the vicarage. So, and, yeah. <laughs> and the t-shirts are back. The t-shirts are back. Yeah. Yay. And they are filling the plate with Jaffa cakes. And Geraldine is sneaking Jaffa cakes at the same time. Yeah. She knows her, yeah. She knows who's coming. She knows they will eat all the Jaffa cakes as soon as they arrive. As they're filling the plate with Jaffa cakes, um, Geraldine is talking with Alice about age and aging and alice yeah. is um, just being really offensive <laughs> but also super hypocritical we've work, worked this out so we've done research we've done, well, we did maths <laughs> i did not we do did the maths, the maths. <laughs> um yeah general jenny thinks I, that we're massively overthinking this um, i do and i love you for it but i sat back and just watched the, the chaos and glory um because alice basically says if you're older than 30 32 you're completely past it 
And we were like, how old is Alice? Because here's things we know about Alice. In 1997, she says she's known Hugo for 26 years. Um, Since then, she has had 10 children. um, Which we assume may be a child every 10 months. I mean, she's got to be cracking on with this unless she's got some twins and triplets in there. But when the whole gang are there together, they they look like they're all a variety um, of different ages. So it's 2005. She's maybe had a child every 10 months. It's eight years. Um, We think she must be around 34. Yeah, because, yeah, it's 2005 this episode comes out. So she's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. Or or you're overthinkers. Or it's like the magic of TV where (laughs) Bart Simpson has stayed the same age for 30 years. (laughs) Time is all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing. She thinks Geraldine's in her early 30s, though, which I guess, you know, that's nice of her. Mm, If we could use Alice's kind of standards for guessing age... And, and the value she approaches, she 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 assigns people based on their age. I guess. Oh, I have to say, I am terrible at guessing ages. I hate it yeah, when I have to do too. any guesstimating around mm. age. Yeah, oh, I just make a joke about how young I look, and therefore I'm terrible at guessing people's ages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. Uh, so Alice is is rude about Geraldine's mm. age, and then they carry on talking <laughs> because the the committee that's come together to talk about mate poverty history mm. are on their way and they talk about the song do they know it's christmas time and ask the question mm. did they know it's christmas time the answer is yes yep. Yep. <laughs> very yep. much so there's a yeah uh, some of the largest mm. christian population is in africa Absolutely. and therefore yes they would know very much that yes. it was christmas time yes. in december i know it's christmas <laughs> So the gang turn up, the rest of the boys turn up and they've all written their letters for uh, the PM and uh, they're of varying quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Owen and Frank read theirs and it's not great, but Jim reads a really, yeah. really beautiful letter. Mm. And of course, because it's Jim, it's got lots of no's in it, but without mm. all the no, 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 no's, he says, no more children dying, no excuses, no more. And that's his letter to mm. the PM. And that's yeah. a really lovely moment. No more yeah, children memorable dying moment. do know how to save their lives. No excuses, no more. Yeah. It's wonderful. Jim's note, Jim's letter, I, I observed, it's also written on the back of a cornflakes packet which I found really interesting, and maybe I'll get onto this a bit later, but it's, you know, Frank's letter's written on a big sack of paper. Um, <laughs> Owen's is written on a piece of paper that he's had folded up in his pocket, and Jim's is on a um, torn-up piece of cardboard from um, a cereal packet. It's just, it, it's really clear to me that Jim is very much presented as being less affluent than the other members of the parish council and we've seen his house before as well where it's not in good repair and he he and his wife have to sleep in waterproofs because there's a hole in their ceiling in their roof um raining on them on their bed so i hadn't picked up on that and I, I think I just thought of him going, oh, I'm just, here's a bit of paper, I'll mm. scribble it down on here because I've forgotten. But then you've just reminded me mm. in the episode where they 
uh, write the Christmas uh, hymns mm. that they come up with the new Christmas hymns, carols. Mm. Um, he writes it on a cardboard box, doesn't he, and yeah. things like that. So, mm. and it is yeah. it's interesting because it is when he took out his cardboard uh, mm. cornflake packet, it was there was laughter in the background because it is mm. played as like a funny thing, and it, so it's hard to tell if, if that's just him being a bit quirky and a bit last minute and disorganised, mm. or like you say, if he hasn't actually got access to paper. But the other thing I noticed from just before this scene began is when the boys came in, they went straight to the Jaffa Cakes and they mm. rinsed the Jaffa Cakes. And I was just thinking, although that is, again, it's played for laughs and it's funny, if this was a real live meeting, I would be thinking, oh my goodness, they might not have enough food at home. And I guess oh, with cost yeah. of living, mm. like, you know, we have to be alert to people who mm. are going to refreshments and, you know, stocking up their mm. pockets with the biscuits and stuff and just, do you yeah. know what I mean? And just keeping an eye on how people are doing. And for yeah. me, like if that had happened, I know it was played for laughs again, I don't want to take it too seriously, but on a mm. on a note of like actual, you know, thinking about poverty and poverty is, mm. uh, being history featuring in this episode and yeah, maybe poverty locally, which I think we're going to come on mm. to later. Um, I was like, ooh, that would be a real red flag in terms of, yeah, wanting mm. to spot people's needs and where they're at. And I think then yeah. if, if- if this is as deep as we're reading into it, which it probably isn't, I think there's something <laughs> incredibly profound about the fact that Jim is the one who has latched on so quickly to what they're meant to be doing. And yeah. he's the one who empathises the most with yeah. the campaign. Mm. And, and, and I think that's true, that often people... <laughs> I mean, as we see it with David, he really struggles to empathise with these needs which are so distant from him. Yeah, um, he's just so privileged, isn't he? That he, mm, he just doesn't get it. But I generally, I, I often see, I think we often see in our ministry, that the people with the least often give the most. Oh, it's so um, true. It's, yeah. it's a whole widow's yeah. might um, mm. that Jesus observes. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That some of the churches in the mm. poorest areas are propping up the diocese with mm. their giving, which mm. is, you know, the parish share is one of the things that Church of England churches pay to mm. the diocese for all the kind of running of the diocese and stuff like that. And mm. often it's, you know, pe- people in poor areas are giving much more than those in much more affluent yeah. churches who do have the money and resources. Mm. That's yeah. not always the case, but is is sometimes the case. Yeah, mm. it, it's it's definitely something which happens enough for us to notice it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if they're being really really clever, then that's what they're doing. Otherwise, they just thought it would be funny to have Jim say no, 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 no. They like using Jim to start off something funny and then make it something profound. They've done it a couple mm. of times. They've done it a few times already in the show. Yeah. So these letters have mm. been written and then we move on to the other plot in lots yeah. of different ways where we head to Horton Manor mm. because uh, Geraldine is turning 40 and they're all trying to decide what to get for Geraldine for mm. her birthday. Mm. And it's really interesting seeing them all in Alice's version of Horton Manor. Um, yeah. Alice has completely decked out Horton Manor in pink and fluffy, sparkly stuff. And the last time we saw it, this was um, a disagreement with David Horton. He was not happy about this, but he looks quite comfortable now. Ooh. I certainly <laughs> look quite comfortable well. on that yeah. sofa. He's embracing the pink. 
<laughs> he's resigned himself to his fate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're trying to work out and, mm. well, one of the things that they uh, suggest is uh, involves Mel Gibson mm. and getting Mel Gibson over here. Uh, for a particular deed mm. uh, and the, all the conversation seems to re- revolve around the fact that they think that all of Geraldine's problems would be solved if she had a boyfriend mm. and as a great lover of Disney this is often the Disney way <laughs> of doing things and there's that brilliant scene in um, Ralph Breaks mm. the Internet where uh, the princess turns up amongst all the princesses mm. and they they talk about you know all the things that have happened in their lives and then she's like are you guys okay and then they ask the question and they're trying to determine if she's a real princess and they say um uh, does everyone think your problems have all disappeared because a big strapping man has turned up and she's uh uh, the main character's like yeah what is with that (laughs) and that seems to be their thoughts is that yeah. yeah, if a strapping man turns up, everything will be fine. You can you can sort of see Alice's reasoning, because this is Alice's idea, and Alice has trouble seeing past herself and her own experiences. And Alice is in a very comfortable position. She's had her happily ever after. She's found the love of her life. She's got Hugo, and she feels like all of her problems have been solved. Aww. I... I can understand why she then wants to project that onto Geraldine and she wants Geraldine yeah. to have her happy ending as well. Mm, I think, does Geraldine in the PCC meeting at the beginning of this episode, does she intimate that she is sad about coming to 40? Yeah, she does. She goes, oh, you know, it's okay to turn 40. Loads of women still find their love after 40. You know, loads yeah. of women go on and she's consoling herself. So although you're right, I think Alice is projecting a bit. I think she's picking up on Geraldine's heart, which is like, oh my gosh, I'm scared about turning mm. the big four zero because all the things I felt like I wanted, all the desires of my heart haven't occurred yet. And I'm nervous that my age is going to, you know, not allow me to you know, experience those things. Um, But yeah, you're right. I think Alice does pick up on that even even more. Um, Mm. Geraldine does want a boyfriend. She wants Mm. a partner. She wants someone to Mm. love and someone to be intimate with and all this different kind of stuff. And that is something that she wants. They just go about this the wrong way. Yeah. Have have either of you ever been experienced being set up by parishioners? No. Yeah, fortunately not. I, w- I was dating by the time I started in, in ordained ministry mm-hmm. and then got engaged uh, about a year, six months mm-hmm. into being ordained. So, um, yeah, yeah that, mm. wasn't, that wasn't a problem for me. <laughs> Whereas I kind of had sort of that experience. Like, not yeah. full on. I did have someone who wanted to set me up with her son, but I managed to escape it. Um, and, but what I also had was people being like, was, I was going to go on a Christian young adults holiday and someone was like, I know you're going to find your husband. Oh, oh wow. Um, mm. and yeah. people really, what really concerned about me being single and wanting me to find Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's really like... I know by this point the Dibley Council are a bit more Geraldine's friends than they are strictly just parish, but it's still really uncomfortable to be in that situation. Mm. Yeah. 
to be honest, even just normal friends doing that for me, I wouldn't want that. Unless I've explicitly mm. asked someone to set me up. Like, uh, th- yeah. Yeah. It's very private. I They've had, got I... a good heart, haven't they? Mm. They've, You know, their heart's in the right place, but as so often the folks are dibbly, mm. their heart's in the right place, but they mess it up and get it wrong. Mm. Mm. Makes for great TV, though. It does. Does it, though? It does. Yeah. Well, I've this part of the episode. <laughs> oh, really? Let's unpack whole, it. Let's dive on whole, in there. Yeah. yeah. So they decide, after Alice uh, informs them about speed dating, to uh, get a voucher so that Geraldine can go speed mm. dating. And uh, then we then cut back to the vicarage where they're giving this gift of a speed dating voucher. And Geraldine goes through a series of emotions mm. about it, doesn't she? It's a whole range. Yeah, she goes through feeling offended, feeling hurt. Um, she, but she kind of ends up being excited. Yeah. 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 I was um, I was at the hairdressers today and was uh, they know I do this podcast mm. and they were asking what we were doing today. <laughs> and I said about this and about the speed dating mm. and that she gets a voucher. And my hairdresser was like, oh, what would you do if your uh, if your par- um, if people gave you a voucher like this? Would you go or not? And, and I was my immediate thought was like, no, of course <laughs> I wouldn't go. But she was like, why not? Why, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, I'm very happily married right now. Um, that makes it sound like I'm about to not be <laughs> yeah. married. Ra- married right now. <laughs> be uh, warned. My spets. <laughs> no, uh, I love my spouse very much. Um, but would I have ever gone on a speed dating mm. gift from parishioners? I, don't know. I I think I would have had to because then they would have been like, oh, did you have a good time? And I wouldn't have mm. been able to have the heart to say I threw it in the bin or to lie about it. Mm. So I probably <laughs> would have had to go. But the thing is, I, I, think, I think Geraldine, in the end, like you say, she does come around to it and she's mm. happy about it because I think she's like, okay, new experience. Maybe this will be good for me. I'll put myself out there, yeah. which I, I deeply commend. Yeah. 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 It's like, probably, you'd kind of feel like... You'd have to go because, as That's you said, true, Jenny, yeah. they've paid for this for you and we're going to be asking you about it. Yeah, I, in Geraldine's situation, would probably try to change the date so it's not on my birthday, um, so that if it didn't go well. That's and also that type yeah. of social situation is not something I'd be comfortable in. I'm not spending my birthday doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you could go around. Well, it's booths mm. for the speed dating that they do, and mm. be wearing a party hat and have a balloon and walk in. <laughs> yeah, each time great conversation to, starter. Wish you happy birthday. Oh, is it your seventeenth mm. birthday? That, that's yeah. what I guessed. <laughs> Oh dear. So they give this gift and it's arranged for a mm. birthday and she's going to go. But as everyone's leaving, uh, David uh, says to her about uh, the make poverty mm. history stuff uh, again and just says, do you know what? Does anyone care? Is mm. there any point in doing this? No one's going to listen to us. And I really admire David's honesty in this. Yeah. And I think it's something that, yeah, I've gone through when when trying to get people Mm. to do stuff as well Mm, it captures the mood of people i think Mm. um which you know for better or for worse it's good to have that on Mm. tv and it's good for that to be uh examined almost Mm. so that it can be rebutted i don't know if what david has to say is wrong completely 
I, I mm. think he's wrong to be defeatist about the idea that we can't get people to care. But he's right that people do care more about there being tra- traffic lights being put up outside Sainsbury's yeah. than the fact that 30,000 people are dying of extreme poverty. But then that's yeah. made to be like, well, isn't that horrific? Because although mm. it's true, that is horrific. Yeah. And yeah. it's actually only when we're confronted with mm. what that looks like that our hearts are changed. You know, mm. that whole kind of, Lord, break our hearts for what mm. breaks yours. We're so mm. occupied with, our, you know, the new roundabout going in on the junction mm. opposite Sainsbury's, it's going to make the commute longer. That <laughs> actually, um, you know, like you say, mm. the 30,000 people falls by the wayside. It's, But then yeah. again... But then it's again... difficult talking about this now because mm. the social and political landscape of the UK now... Mm. is a bit different um, yeah. to 2005. Um, and I think a comparison now, it, it's, it's very different now, because what we're looking at now is we're looking at, we've got the war in Ukraine and what's happening in Iran and all over the world. Those are our big things we need to be worried about and we should care about in the world. But then at home, we have the cost of living crisis we have people unable to heat their homes we have mm. an unprecedented need for food banks um so if david is speaking today and he's saying the people i talk to are far more concerned about you know what's happening here in our village that's understandable but that's not what david is saying because no it kind of ties into this very Thatcher um, politics, which says um, you're supposed to focus on what's happening around you more than kind of caring about the problem, big problems across the world. And you can make that kind of change in your immediate circles. Um, mm. I'm probably completely misrepresenting this, but that's kind of where you can see David's more concerned with the local, but also only really concerned with what's affecting his immediate circle so the traffic lights affects him and therefore he cares about it mm. yeah true and it's not until Geraldine links what's happening in Africa with his own grandchildren that he yeah. starts to yeah that's true that was an important shift actually and like you say that's coming back to something you said earlier mm. when David's empathy mm. switches on which I think is really interesting but I feel like just before we get too deep and mm. delicious into this area, we we catapulted out again mm. into a funny scene. So we come back from this seriousness and thinking about mm. local. And it is funny because they parallel, obviously, local and the local panic with the uh, the road versus, you know, mm. actual people in poverty. Um, but they were catapulted back into speed dating where mm. we meet. Now, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, just for this episode only, isn't it? Yes. A very special yes. character. Yes. It's Miranda Hart. It's Miranda Hart. Who is someone we all adore Indeed. as well. She's a good load of fun. <gasps> you know what? We should do an episode about Miranda. I know she's not a TV vicar, but... 
we should do. But the, there's a lot of vicar stuff in it, the kind of world that she talks mm. about. You know, her mother tries to set yeah. her up on a date with a vicar and there's yeah. a very fu- funny funeral scene. Yes, yes. we'll do yes, a Miranda, we'll do a Miranda okay. episode. Yes. <laughs> Miranda's a oh, Christian yeah. as well. So there we go. Yeah, she is. Nice. She, she loves the Lord. Mm. Well, yes. in this one, she loves the guys and girls. <laughs> oh, yeah, she, she loves she... setting people up. Yeah. She, M- yeah Miranda's so... character is, is it Sally or... Susie, I Susie. think. Yes, yeah. Susie runs the speed dating centre from the looks of it. Um, yeah. And she greets Geraldine. And um, Geraldine has arrived. She's looking lovely, but she's wearing she a clerical beautiful. collar. And Susie advises her to take the collar off. Let's just pause here for a moment. If you were to go speed dating or on a first date full stop, Wouldst thou wear your dog collar? No. And reasons not. why. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, but, no, but I have gone on a first date where I wore, like, it was a dress which was a clerical dress, but I'd unbuttoned it slightly so it didn't look like clericals. Mm. Oh. So I could have whipped it out if I wanted to. <laughs> I could have Goodness whipped babe. out a clerical collar if I'd wanted okay. to. Okay. Thank like an emergency pastoral visit on the way yeah, home. Yeah, emergency <laughs> pastoral visit. It also, is like it was a really hot day, super... and like that was one of the only appropriate dresses I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I probably wouldn't wear my collar for dating. But... No, no. Is it as Susie says? It's a little bit of a stop sign. Um, yeah, n- not yeah. many bachelors or bachelorettes, or in between would look at a clerical collar and think, oh, yeah. And if they did, you well, might not want them. Yeah. Well, true. There's, there's the potential that it's someone who's a bit fetishizing. Mm. Yeah, can I just mention on the dog collar front, mm. It's if you're a police officer, you wouldn't wear your uniform. I know vicar is a vocation, mm. it's a lifestyle, it's more than job. But at the end of the day, your dog collar is a piece of, I suppose, in a way, it's, I know it can be viewed differently, but it is sort of like a uniform. So yeah. I guess it doesn't necessarily People make get sense. into that. Mm. I know, I know. Uniform dating? Yeah, mm. just not sure it's helpful in the finding a beloved scene. Well, in a, an episode we'll look at much later, mm. someone uh, enjoys the dog collar and well. finds it rather sexy. Mm. So it could have worked, but in this case, yeah. well, it was so, a shall we see. Geraldine um, rips off her, her bib stock. <laughs> Um, a, bit, a, bit, a bib stock is what's called that little when you've got that little piece which is just sitting underneath what you're otherwise wearing and she goes a complete opposite route where she is boobalicious she is boobalicious in her defence um, if you've got boobs you've just got to wear them yeah. you don't have a choice but yeah. also I do find as well in women's wear it, I... I there are some items of clothing that I have that I would only wear with a bib stock mm. because without them, it's like, whoa. And yeah. so you don't have a, almost have a choice, do you? Yeah. So she might have gone <laughs> through her dresses, surprised to be a date, go through dresses. Look, 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 look. Oh my goodness, I can't wear this on its own. So the bib stock has to go in. But like you say, as soon as, uh, I was going to say Miranda, as soon as Susie's like, ooh, a personal coin, not sure mm. about the collar, she whips it out and then all of a sudden there they are. Now, like, she, she knows. There like, they, they look wonderful and she looks wonderful and she mm. that was intentional. Like, she's never been shy 
about her bosom. Do you think? And she shouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, I suppose. But oh, then no. what she then does is then she further unbuttons her top. Which Once she meets the competition She, she reveals her yeah. bra, which... I think I think yeah. for me that's where I'm more uncomfortable is her then deciding to reveal her her undergarments. The, that undergarments. is a move because we meet Hetty, who's mm. also well, we think she's a single woman looking for love. Turns out she's got a couple of guys that she's kind of seeing anyway. Mm. And I think Geraldine yeah. suddenly feels a bit more threatened on the dating scene, so she thinks, yeah. right, well, might as well uh, throw caution to the wind and advertise the yeah. woman I am. But and uh, get like the girls say, out. The Can buttons we call come out a little looser. Geraldine's internalized misogyny for how she treats Hetty. Like yeah. she does some very thinly veiled insults disguised as coughs, and um, she essentially <laughs> she slut shames Hetty for the fact that she's seeing a couple of guys she's not she doesn't say she's dating any of these guys but she's talking you know she's seeing a couple of guys and she's also speed dating and for how she's dressed and then she comments on the fact that she doesn't have much of a bottom you know it's just it's not women supporting women geraldine it's Uh, not women (laughs) geraldine feels very insecure and a bit jealous and I think she does make quite a funny comment about Hetty's hips being the same level of her as her boobies because mm. they are great with weight, so they are mm. perhaps a little bit lower. And then, <laughs> and then Hetty is super tall. She's mm. got, you know, height on her side. And it's all just too much for Geraldine. She's in a vulnerable place as it is. So I do yeah. feel sorry for her because when Hetty's like, oh, I've been seeing this guy and then I've seen guess her, but none of them are quite right. I can imagine... Geraldine be like, what? How come you get all the men and I don't get any? Um, you know, it's like a child not. in a way, isn't it? But but, the but you're right, you're not. right. What she says is not holy. It's, it's not kind. It's not it's holy. Not... It's not kind. And it's not just. It's just not. It's like that same level of when you're reading a romance novel and a main character decides to massively insult her love rival, like and call her a slut because she dresses, you know, skimply or yeah. You know, it's just. It's just like it's 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 not. It's not, not cool. I mean, obviously this is 2025, but it's not 21st century, century dating and like, I'm, I'm just, I'm yeah. really disappointed in Geraldine here. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're here, you. But we're not disappointed in the talent because we hear there are many mm. gentlemen uh, for these two ladies to go see and uh, we meet the first one as we go through door number mm. one and lo and behold, there's Steve. It's Steve. Yeah. Who is uh, a... Model. He is a model. He is a model who is traditionally very good looking. And immediately, Geraldine is schmitten on him. And uh, he talks... He says all the right things about, you know... Mm. Has has dated the wrong sort of girl and is just looking for someone. A real you know, woman. A real woman. And uh, immediately, with my Jane Austen uh, senses tingling, I'm like, this man is too charming. He is suspicious. Um, but Geraldine really hits it off with him and has a nice chat and lies. Uh, you hated the scene. So yeah, no, so I I hated the scene completely because <laughs> Geraldine lies about who she is. She misrepresents herself. Oh she, yeah. She does what she does quite a lot, where she decides she starts basing her personality around what she thinks the 
man will be most attracted to. We've seen her do yeah. this before. Um, and I really hate that for her. You know, last time it was her bleaching her hair um, uh, so yeah. that David's brother would be attracted to her because he said he'd like blondes. And, and now it's lying about what she does and... Yeah, I, I think it's because Susie's probably put her off by saying the dog collar thing. So she yeah. probably panics. Actually, my identity, I do need to change it in order to be, you know, attractive, as it were. So she goes mm. to say Vic, Vicar, but she goes Victoria Crossmaker, which I don't think <laughs> is necessarily for his benefit, as in I don't think he'd like, ooh, a Victoria Crossmaker, how delicious. But I think it's because she didn't want to reveal who she was. She's obviously feeling insecure about her identity, um, which, as you said, has been a factor, you know, previously. Um, but there's ways and to something do we've it. experienced too. Yeah, but, but there's ways mm, to. Yeah, definitely. There's ways to conceal that you're a vicar. Like so. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've probably been the one who's been online dating most recently, and what I would say on my profile was that I was a church worker. Um, so I'm not lying. I'm just not. Fully, and, and then after I'd been dating, not dating, but talking to someone for a little bit, then I'd say, oh, by the way, I'm actually a vicar. I just, I don't like sharing this out too much because mm. one, it makes me far too identifiable and easy to find. Mm-hmm. Also, I know it's a bit off-putting to some people. You know, yeah. you kind of want to ease people in mm. uh, to, <laughs> to the idea but yeah, there's there's ways to conceal without it being complete deception. Let's maybe mm, not yeah. include this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, she she tells some porkies about who she is, and but it's uh, the time comes to an end, and she's feeling really good about uh, how things have gone, and so can't wait to see mm-hmm. who the next bloke is, and so she walks in to the next door, and it's Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Just reliving that moment, so good. Which, uh, first of all, where's his wife? Is his wife passed away yeah. by this point, oh. or are they just going for an open relationship thing? And um, yeah, I, I think yeah. we've known. There's been evidence, hints in previous episodes, really from the start, that Jim has not been the most faithful partner, whether his wife consents to that or not. Because he's mentioned <laughs> having had liaisons with um, yeah. Letitia. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Maybe, hopefully before marriage, though. Am I naive to assume that? As in, like, before he got... He was oh. meant to be faithful. Oh. I don't know. I, just I, don't wanna, know. I wanna believe Jim's a good dude. But he, you're right, he does talk about... And, and in this episode also, mm. he talks about his... He, Some of his most sexually exciting times being with women over, you know, yeah, over a certain age, and, he, and and the kind of the availability of condoms and the condom machine at the pub. <laughs> um, he, he indicates that maybe oh, yeah. his side of a marriage is open. Um, again, whether or not his wife consents to that, we don't know. Um, oh, anyway, Jim. Jim is there, um, and I think we then get a good indication of how the rest of the speed dating is going to go. <laughs> Absolutely, because after Jim, we then get Owen, oh, dear. Uh, and Owen's dressed up for the occasion, but absolutely not. And then next of all, we get Alice and Hugo, who mm. are suggesting a menage a trois, 
um, which is the uh, yeah, she says no to, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then after that we meet Dave, <laughs> also known as David. He's wearing a ridiculous shirt. <laughs> I think he's chair fresh. backwards as well, and all this. Yeah, stuff. this is the beginning of David's. I think this is the beginning of David's. Oh my gosh, I actually like Geraldine. <gasps> Spoiler alert for the coming episodes. Yeah. No, maybe we've, we've that, 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 that was too small um, for me. That word. We talked about the beginning this for me. Dave is Dave. Maybe he Dave. was hoping that he was going to be the only one of, of Dibley to be there. Maybe, and he was hoping yeah. that he and Geraldine would hit it off. But that. it's <sighs> it doesn't happen that doesn't way. Happen, so they. No. This is the last of the speed dating, mm. and they all meet back together in the room and. Uh, Miranda, mm-hmm. <laughs> also known as Susie, uh, is very pleased because there's uh, one person, uh, though, well, there's one couple who've put themselves forward as a, as a definite match. As a, you know, mm. they've they've said the same name for who they'd like best, and Geraldine gets all excited because she oh. thinks, oh, it's going to be her and Steve, and she's so gets, painful. Yeah, she jumps forward like, woo, let's do this, and it's mm. Hetty and Steve, and so the exact uh, person that Steve says he wants to avoid mm. and doesn't want to date anymore is the person that he chooses. Mm. And so they go off on a date. And, yeah, Geraldine is devastated. Yeah, cut to back at the vicarage and Geraldine's sitting on the stairs drinking wine. Yeah, Again. and there's that Again. kind of uh, song over the top. I will never marry, I'll be alone, or I will never yeah. be anyone's wife, I'll be alone all my days. Oh. Which is a song in a previous life of mine I have found and played and also drunk wine along to. Oh, Jenny! <laughs> I've lived that reality in my own life and just been oh, like, you know what? Dear. I embrace yeah. this. Um, um, yeah. yeah, and Geraldine says that's what I called a very bad birthday. Oh, it's so it. sad. And it's that's, poo. It's why yeah. I agree. She shouldn't have gone on a birthday. Yeah. Like, as much as it was a birthday gift. Like that's just, yeah. but you know, it could have gone really it well. Gone of course, really it well. didn't because it's the vicar of yeah. Dibley. But yeah. yeah, she's had a bad day. Yeah. She's had a bad day. And, and there's a knock <laughs> on the door. It's maybe about to be a good day. Maybe maybe someone's going to turn up. Is it Simon? Is it? Uh, oh. One of her previous love interests is it Daniel Frobisher? Well, now that would be a that would be a <laughs> Daniel Frobisher. <laughs> oh, we, we need to do a review of all her romantic interests at some point. Mm. But um, oh yes, it's Alice and Hugo dressed oh. in kilts. Yeah, <laughs> and swinging oh, away. They have decided this is Plan B since they couldn't find her a romantic partner. Um, they're offering to give her a baby via Hugo. Mm. Alice pips out Hugo, essentially. Yeah, and not only is this deeply uncomfortable and inappropriate, but they make it worse by making it exceptionally clear that Hugo is not attracted to Geraldine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And the reason they're dressed in kilts is because they think Geraldine's attracted to um, Braveheart. Yeah, is that is Alice in a kilt as well? Yeah, she is. She's got like a little denim skirt kilt number. It's cute. cute. (laughs) And oh, is this an actual nightmare? It feels like a nightmare. I was hoping she would wake up, and it would have been a nightmare. 
it is not. She uh, politely declines. Uh, and, and then Alice the starts to nearly cry again, though. This is, you know, when Alice gets upset. You know the Christmas lunch mm. incident where Vicar's mm, like, yeah. "Now let me tell you a story about a friend." And mm. but Alice is like, "But this is our birthday mm. present to you." So like, you can't say no. And we're all thinking, "Oh my gosh, how is this going to turn out?" Alice is an emotional terrorist. Let's name it. <laughs> she she's an emotional. She terrorist. just has a lot of feelings. Yeah. She knows oh. what she's doing. She knows what she's no, doing. No, she doesn't. That girl is pure sunshine and innocence, I'm sure of it. <laughs> she anyway, just feels deeply. She doesn't know how to process it. Geraldine is saved by another knock at the door. Oh. And who is it? <laughs> the alternatives. <Back> the alternatives. <laughs> yeah, just in it's case. the boys. In their yeah. kills, Jim, Owen and Frank turn up mm. and they all flash the vicar. Mm. It's true. Frank, Not straight Frank away. Frank is the most surprising um offering um yeah but yeah they so all what, what, offer yeah they offer what is it just in case they uh, her vicar didn't fancy being impregnated by hugo she gets a choice of the the other guys that's yeah, it isn't it yeah and uh, it's like shag marry a boy didn't it <laughs> oh, oh. oh my gosh shall we do that oh my gosh right now <laughs> right here ruthie i'm gonna come to you first um marry frank Avoid Owen, shag Jim. Nice. I would no. marry Hugo, avoid Owen, and do rude things with Frank. <laughs> okay, there's something not. Moving on. Yeah, we might need to come out. <laughs> um, yeah, so the boys flash her uh, and she just says no and go away. And uh, I think that's for the best. But. Uh, everyone, she sends them home to go get changed yeah. because it's the last meeting of the Dibley uh, Make Poverty History Committee. Yes. Poverty Action Committee. Dibley Poverty Action Committee. So yeah. they all gather in the Vicarage living room to talk about what we're going to do. They've had some time to think about ideas. Um, Owen suggests a very radical solution, which is a round up all the rich people in the country and kill them. Um, idea. Communist revolution Communist res- from uh, yeah, yeah. Owen. Owen um, and the Hortons ask whether kind of how rich is rich, and he says, "Oh, anyone <laughs> richer than um, and David and Hugo on a first day." On the first day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Jim has a particularly creepy response where he wants women mm. of a certain age and a certain ethnicity to come and live with him, mm. which is just really wrong. And then Frank suggests setting fire to himself in protest. <laughs> mm. Not uh, ideal. No, not their greatest responses. No. So, although, uh, although, and I do want to say, Jim's is the most, pra- aside from the creepy factor, Jim's is oh. the most practical in terms of offering because he's offering to share his home yeah. he's essentially saying I welcome refugees it's bad because mm. he's essentially wanting he's not to a good candidate for it so he's yeah. not a good candidate but you know it's the most practical of the suggestions yeah <laughs> uh, once again with him great heart mm. bad execution mm. <laughs> mm. Uh and so Geraldine um, says and turns to her computer and 
looks up some stuff online and goes to the Make Poverty History website and there's a, a li- click this link if you're mm. undecided about whether to support it because she's um, wanted to give them white bands and, and stuff to, to wear for it. And so they click the link and watch a video uh, which is harrowing footage. Mm. And I really clearly remember watching yeah. this video. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's about... Um, a brother and sister whose parents have died of AIDS and uh, the sister is now... Oh, no, the mum the has died of AIDS. The dad's really unwell. The sister's caring for them. And I I remember really clearly the little boy sobbing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The sound tears. of that. Yeah, but it is harrowing to hear. Mm. And you, you feel it. And it's it goes on for quite a long time as well. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's not like a little part... But these, the two children, absolutely broken by the fact that their mum's died, their father is deeply unwell, and they're just so sad. And you're right, it's the, it's the sound of their crying that you can't mistake for anything else apart from, like, just uh, just the saddest thing you've ever heard in the world. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, ever since I first saw that episode, even when I watched it back for this episode, I found myself crying. Like it's, I, oh, I think it's, I'm getting a little like teary now. Yeah. Yeah. And really the video finishes. The video finishes, and Geraldine apologizes because mm. she didn't realize how hard hitting it would be. Mm. And they turn around, and mm. uh, everyone's wearing their white bands and yeah. are fully on board with it. Mm. And the episode ends with uh, in instead of your um, uh, instead of the usual kind of mm. um, video and joke and that kind of stuff. It ends with a montage of the the characters from Vicar mm. Dibley all wearing white make poverty history um, merchandise. Feels the wrong word, um, but symbols. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, symbols. bands and supportive and mem- and there's also a final line where Geraldine says. Um, this might be the best birthday I've ever had. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. them the, wearing the bands is cut with footage of uh, people in poverty. Mm. And uh, that's how the episode ends. And mm. so now we want to talk a bit about uh, the Make Poverty History movement and mm. uh, this way of raising money and things like that. And Kate, do you want to kick us off with some thoughts about yes. it? Yes. So um, Make Poverty History is a really core memory for me. Um, 2005 mm. was when I was really getting started with being recruited into leading in my youth congregation. In fact, I think the Make Poverty History youth service we had was one of the first times I was in the youth band. I remember exactly what I was wearing. I was wearing my new wow. pink Converse and I was wearing a pink, mm-hmm. a pink top. And Anyway, it is core memory. Like We were heavily involved with this as a youth group. Um, yeah. Make Poverty History launched in 2005 in the UK with this episode. Um, It was a coalition of trade unions and charities across the world, which was lasting one year um, with the aim of ending poverty, particularly in Africa. Um, It was focused on a rally in Edinburgh in July of that year, which would coincide with the G8 summit, um, demanding that the G8 leaders would make poverty history. 
Um, in February, Nelson Mandela spoke to 20,000 people in Times Square, and there were, there were other global summits throughout that year focusing on global poverty. Um, the G8 meeting um, resulted in increased aid and reduced debt, um, but there was no movement on trade justice or workers' rights, which was one of the other um, hoped outcomes of this coalition of trade unions. Um, the UN summit um, for the world's poor, which I think happened later that year, had some disappointing outcomes. And then there was a World Tra Trade Organization ministerial, which also had uninspiring outcomes. This is according to the TUC um, website. Um, the, there were eight promises made by the G8 leaders. The first was to double aid to Africa. Um, the second was to double aid from from the UK, EU specifically. And um, the third was to drop the debt. And the fourth was um, universal aid and HIV treatment. The fifth was to save 600,000 lives a year by pro by um, by protecting 85% of the people at risk from malaria. Um, the sixth promise was to eradicate polio. The seventh mm. promise was universal primary education. And the eighth promise was to stop corruption in the oil, gas and minerals industry by improving transparency. We're almost mm. 20 years on from these promises being made. Some of these have been achieved to a greater degree than others. Drop the debt was quite um, successful by its own standards. 36 of the 39 eligible countries um, participated um, in this programme, but not all of the poorest countries were eligible. Um, so a lot of their national budget still goes towards paying off their debt. Um, polio has been one, one of the other more successful stories and universal primary education was also... Um, as of 10 years ago, on track. Um, corruption in the oil, gas and minerals industry, let's face it, nothing's happened there. Um, it's, it's unbelievably frustrating, mm. um, and that's putting it mildly. Like, mm. some of the stuff that's happened has been really good and has yeah. moved things forward, and uh, uh, the rallying call to action for it, um, it's... Yeah, and I think lots of this kind of stuff that happened then was, it was quite a, well, it wasn't just a youth movement, but mm. I, know, I remember being really influenced about it mm. as a young person. I think we're seeing that again today with climate change, yeah. that it's mm. young people who are really pushing forward for mm. it, and um, that's an amazing thing. As we know, being part of the Church of England, change mm. never happens fast, mm. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's immensely mm. frustrating. Mm. I think it would be interesting to see 20 years on whether we do a 20-year anniversary of Make Poverty History and make the push again. Um, mm. There were criticisms of the movement at the time and in retrospect. One of the main ones at the time is that the wristbands which were produced and sold, um, which everyone wore, some of them were made in Chinese sweatshops. Oh, man, um, that's messed up. Which is completely counter to the whole point of the movement 
Mm. Um, also, it was a coalition of organisations outside of Africa rather than um, anyone from African countries themselves, which undermined the local governments um, to an extent. And it also sort of ties into greater criticisms of this type of... Um, of this type of activism, which focuses on, particularly on Africa, um, and it kind of ties into this white saviorism, a sense that well, we we need to fix things for people. You hear it if you listen to "Do They Know It's Christmas." Mm, that's it's just yeah. incredibly condescending. Um, mm. It's. It's still colonialism because it's saying we can do things better than you can. Um, and ad- admittedly, some of the problems, most of the problems, let's not include this bit, caused by colonialism originally. But yeah, th- there's this criticism as well in the way that, with that video that we have at the end, which brings which draws people into empathizing with those videos we have and when in the uk we have comic relief we have children in need there's um, there's been increased criticism of this method which is very emotive and it does get you involved it gets Mm. you wanting to give but it's been described as poverty porn and the attitude is oh you know isn't this so sad for them? And um, aren't we so gl- aren't we glad it's them and not us? That's a direct <sighs> quote from um, "Do They Know It's Christmas," and particularly for from a disability community, um, which is where um, children in need more focuses. Um, this type of fundraising doesn't necessarily it doesn't change for systematic inequalities. Um, which cause the problems in the first place. It, instead, it actually reinforces this idea that the our sh- social services in the UK, if we're thinking about the UK, need to be propped up by big giving drives for giving and charitable action. Um, it also normalises traumatic power imbalances. Um, and it's just... Over the past almost 20 years since make poverty history i myself have become more uncomfortable with the way that this activism is done i think the trouble with lots of this is hindsight is an amazing yeah. thing and we mess up and we get things wrong mm. um and we can look back and do that i don't think maybe i'm too naive but i don't think the intentions were to be going in as white saviour mm. and, you know, rescuing all of Africa. Because mm. I think if we look back on our history, we've made, of course, we've made massive mm. mistakes in different things. And, you know, you look at the work of someone like Mother Teresa, actually, mm. the way that she ran her orphanages looks, it's, nowadays we mm. look back and go, that was really, really bad. Yeah. But we're humans and we mess up and we do things as we can do at the moment. And yes, we don't always get it right, but, you, you know, we, we we do as we can. And I think particularly here in the UK, we, we like things like these big events to do stuff. 
and I think we we like doing big events and whether that's um whether that's with charity things or like building up to things like the FA Cup we like big events for things and if that's the way it motivates people mm. to give and to encourage mm. knowing stuff yeah. uh, about the state of the world that's how it mm. works for us in, in culture and it, mm. I, I'm not saying it, it works always but actually mm. that's that's how we work as a society at the moment. Yeah, the, Does that make sense? The huge success of Make Poverty mm. History was that it raised the awareness so much and so many people became passionate, mm. even if just for a short amount of time. The downside yeah. was it was, well, we've made Make Poverty History. You know, it was kind of... The, the coalition was for one year. And then yeah, which is yeah, it, yeah. It's not something it's which has been re- revisited year on year and year on year. Um, mm. And I mean, I I don't get me wrong. I don't think make poverty history was a bad thing. In fact, I think it was incredibly good. Um, but if we ask the question now, looking on back on, did we make poverty history? Or you know, looking back on what happened to make no. poverty history, mm. especially yeah. now when we've got so much inequality on our doorstep you know it's and i think one of the things that made me uncomfortable watching this episode was just knowing how many people in the uk are using food banks yeah you know and it's like if this was today how do we reconcile i mean i imagine jim and his family would be using a food bank um and as I was reimagining what this episode could look like, because I'm just deeply, I don't think that the speed dating plot, so plot should have been paired with it. I don't think it was the most effective pairing. No, I, I think you could you could have had a really interesting discussion about local poverty versus global poverty, and how actually it's not either or when it comes to tackling poverty. Um, mm-hmm. we should have as much empathy for the people who are our neighbours as the people who live on the other side mm. of the world. Um, yeah, I, I think picking up on that, I think you're right, it is both and. And I mm-hmm. think for me, that's what the takeaway from this episode is. Like, I do agree with some of your comments about mm. um, kind of I can understand why there was criticism about Make Poverty History. Um, but I do think that actually it's right for our hearts to be broken for, you know, people in our community as much as it is for people on other sides of the world. Yeah. And I think the video really shows that beautifully. Coming back to David's comments earlier mm. in the episode where, you know, coming back to that scene where he's talking about he's way more shocked about the roundabout coming in than, you know, people dying. Mm. And I think a modern equivalent for us, we've we've just had, you know, um, obviously there's wars going on around the world, there's earthquakes in Turkey, Syria, and it's like, oh yeah, I guess we should pay attention. And then you read the news and you see the videos and you hear of the death toll numbers and it wakes you up. Because otherwise I think it's so easy to not be bothered or distressed or to cry out in prayer because we're so far away from it. And then I feel like for me, like I did some digging, one of my young adults said, oh, hey, what are we doing about the earthquake appeal? Are we are we mm. collecting? Are we raising finances? Like, are, what, what are we doing? And I was like, oh, ah, um, in my brain. And then I was like, I better, <laughs> better find out a bit more about what's going on and, and what's Tear Fund doing? What's Christian Aid doing? Okay, what can we do? What can we get involved with? And I and then I obviously I know oh, I have compassion myself, but I felt guilty as well. I was like, what on 
earth am I doing? Um, death toll now is over 11,000 mm. people. And like, yeah. how am I going to choose to respond mm. to that? And when it was when I was watching the videos of children being pulled from the rubble mm. and it did make me think, oh my goodness, imagine if that was my community. I've got mm. a parish of 6,000 here. That's all of them yeah. gone. And again, that yeah. parallels kind of what we're saying in Dibley. And I think it's right that these videos are good. I don't, I don't quite agree with that um, emotional pornography um, phrase that you used. It, I don't, I don't quite understand that because there is, it is nothing better, I think, than having our hearts enlarged and our consciences mm. stretched. And I don't know, and having that for our local community, yes, and for others on side of the world, I think is a. I think it's, it, as you were saying, Kate, it's got to be a both and thing. It's difficult as well because I, I, I agree with both mm. of you that actually it's the images that often hit home and mm. people, it, 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 it's the thing that make people realise, oh, this is an actual mm. human being. It's not just a number. And and it, the, there was the mm. um, the story from um, it, the earthquake in, in Syria and Turkey about a baby that had just been born underneath one and, and the entire family had been killed, but this baby had survived that, you know, was hours mm. old. And the, stories like that, we, we are people who like stories mm. and storytelling and those are the kind of things that mm. hit us and hit home. But yes, we can use that mm. in exploitive and mm. um, yeah. unhelpful ways. And um, it, yeah, it's just one of the tragic realities of humanity is... The images which humanise causes for us dehumanises, dehumanise the subjects of those images. Yeah. Um, and and mm. we'll never win when it, when it comes to this. It's um, mm, a tough one. So to draw a close mm. to this episode, um, uh, we recognise that it's a lot of ups and downs in this. And we've gone through some really big emotional stuff. And so following the pattern of the episode, we've done our joke at the beginning. And instead of uh, kind of signing off in a certain way or, or, or making a joke about it, instead, uh, Jenny's going to offer a prayer for us. So, Lord Jesus, you call us to be your hands and feet that we may join in with what you are doing in our communities and around the world. So direct us as we renew our commitment to end poverty and inspire us to continue to bring about the kingdom of heaven here on earth. In what feels like a huge task, give to us your reassurance, your strength and above all hope that you will use us as we are, where we are, for your purposes near and far. Amen. 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 We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Vicar's Watch Dibley. Thank you to Toby for editing our ramblings. Any views expressed in this podcast are our own and don't necessarily represent those of the Church of England or any other organisations with which we are affiliated. And as always, bless you for listening.